Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey there, welcome in to another edition of what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, he's a staple on the club circuit and drops in on Rock 95's birthday bash now and again. David Wilcox will be in town March 10th. We get caught up with him beforehand. A lot of talk about moving the Barry Farmers Market from City Hall to the Barry Bus Terminal Building downtown. Everyone seems to like the plan, except those who run the Farmers Market. We find out why. We got our regular Barry Colts update. They've clinched a playoff spot, you know. And we chat with Mayor Alex Nuttall about his first hundred days in office. But first, International Women's Day is approaching. Are we making progress toward gender equality? What's getting in the way? And how will we mark the day in Barry? Teresa McLennan joins us from the Barry Women and Children's Shelter. Sounds like we're making some headway, Teresa, but it also seems like it's painstakingly slow. Women still, in the corporate world especially, do not make uh, parity in terms of wages of men doing the same job. We do see that, uh, unfortunately, here in our own local city, we don't have as much representation of women on city council and in politics in general. That is the work that we need to continue to do so that all women have equal opportunity, they are paid for equal work, And so we can truly say that we have achieved and we're there. We are very thankful that there's women who continue to use their voice. And there are also men in our community who walk alongside us, who partner with us, who really want gender equity as well. And we are always excited every year to host International Women's Day on March the 8th. Before we get into that, I, I want to hearken back to what you said about representation on city council, for instance. Mm-hmm. Not that many women on there. We don't often get a lot of women candidates. Mm-hmm. What's behind that? Is, is, is there a, mm-hmm. something that's stopping them from stepping forward? I think in the city of Barrie in particular, and in many cities, there is a historical pattern, I'll call it, where men typically uh, sit in certain roles. And I would say that politics is one of those roles. Women may be unsure about how they go about even deciding to run for local politics. What we're seeing now is that women politicians are encouraging, educating, and supporting other women to consider running. That is a great first step. We would really love our city to make a commitment to how do we build uh, equity in terms of our city council. Because the voices, equal voices of men and women are equally important. We are certainly not saying that there needs to be more women than men. We would just like to have equality there. We would like to create opportunities where women learn about that work, learn how do I become that, and they are supported and have the opportunity to apply and be successful. There are still 
far greater uh, male leaders in all sectors than there are women. We've been very fortunate here in the city of Barrie. We have seen now two uh, you know, CEOs of our local hospital. We have had a female chief of police. So that is great to see. And we just want to encourage that to continue moving forward. While we are still striving to, to reach that equality, what can women be doing to make sure that they still have a voice, that they still have a say in the decision making that is happening in the city? That's a, such a great question. And so we at the Women and Children's Shelter, of course, we support women who have experienced violence. What we do, which is what I hope is going to be an encouragement to everyone in our city, is that we encourage women to use their voice, to participate, to ask questions, and not be afraid of what the outcomes will be. If we are doing good work, if we are saying the right things, we can't lose. Has to start somewhere. And sometimes you need a helping hand with that. So where can somebody turn? Where can women turn to get some advice, to get some guidance, to help these kinds of things move forward? Well, absolutely. Our agency um, supports women and children who've experienced any kind of violence. So we are a great place to start. We have a crisis line that's 24 hours a day, uh, 728-2544. If any woman is looking for some advice or that we can lead her in the right direction about who to speak with, we are a good place to start. We have a very active Women's Advocacy Council. That is a group of women, survivors, women with lived experience, businesswomen, you know, educators who are using their voice in very productive ways in terms of making change happen. We would connect any woman who was looking to advocate for change. We would connect her in with that Women's Advocacy Council as well. It's an uphill climb, and uh, one of the steps in that uh, uphill climb is on March 8th when you have two events. We love International Women's Day. So it is March the 8th, Wednesday this year, and we hold two events. So we have a Women's Empowerment Luncheon. We invite women in our community to come out, enjoy a very gourmet meal. There will be raffles, prizes, uh, and we are very blessed that we have an incredible guest speaker in Jane Pritchard this year. So Jane is going to be coming out speaking about her experience of having breast cancer, her work in media, a very long career. And we're just going to sit down and have a conversation with Jane. And so it is going to be a great event. You can visit our website, which is berryshelter.com. The tickets are $75. And of course, that's the gourmet lunch and the raffle, the auctions. We've got vendor tables who are coming in selling their wares and you get to sit down and listen to this great conversation with Jane Pritchard. That is from 11 to 1 on March the 8th and then later on in the day we march through the streets of downtown Barrie and we invite women, men, children, families, businesses, agencies, organizations to come and let's walk together. So we are meeting at the Barry City Hall Rotunda. If you're there about quarter to five, that would be great. We're going to have some great music to get us pumped up as we walk through the streets of Barry. Of course, Barry Police is going to guide us through the streets so that we are safe. We also have an accessible route. We would love to see everyone come out and walk with us. We're going to be loud. We're going to be proud. We're going to make a lot of noise. And we just would love 
for our community to come out and walk with us. Thanks for the heads up on all of this. Thanks for the legwork you're doing and thanks for everything else you're doing to help women in our community and children. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all of your support. Teresa McLennan is Executive Director of the Women and Children's Shelter in Barrie. For more on International Women's Day events in the city, the website is barryshelter.com. Riverboat Fantasy, Do the Bearcat, Lay in Pipe. David Wilcox gets regular airplay on Rock 95 and makes an appearance this month at the Ranch 2.0. Will you hear those tunes? That depends, as Wilcox explains in this chat with Rock 95's Ben McCauley about his career and the guy he credits for getting him where he is today. I wanted to take you back to the near the beginning of your career. I thought it was appropriate with uh, this past year losing Ian Tyson. I know that you started with uh, with his band and I thought you might want to share some thoughts or some memories from that time period. Well, I owe DP in a debt I can never repay. Um, he gave me my first real chance in the music business. Um, I went from playing in my mother's basement in North York uh, to uh, uh, touring internationally with Ian and Sylvia, and uh, they I replaced a great guitar player, Amos Garrett. I was right right around the time I turned 21, you know, and uh, uh, I love Ian and Sylvia, and like I say, they opened the door. They taught me so much uh, about music and professionalism and uh, life, so uh, I love the guy. Back to you here in 2023. How, how are you with titles like legend and icon and things like that? It doesn't mean that much. I mean, it's nice. I'd rather think people say positive things. But, you know, at the end of the day, like most artists, when you start out, people say negative things. You know, like, this guy's no good. It's weird, whatever. And, and maybe I wasn't at times. But the thing is, uh, later on, they say that stuff. It's all stuff people say, you know. Well, something you're probably more used to hearing is uh, the categorization of singer-songwriter, a boss on the guitar, and I would dare say kind of a third title, and that is you've carved out your own space in the canon of rock and roll with those kind of tongue-in-cheeks, edgy, sometimes raunchy, fun songs. You, your songs individually are characters. Uh, was that just your own authentic self coming through in songwriting, or how much of a conscious effort did you put into, I'm going to make a, a different song, a little fun song? It's all following my heart. Um, you know, just doing what I really wanted to do. You know, I did notice the songs changed, though, you know, Ben, when um, first I was playing to audiences that had never no idea who I was, you know, I just go into a bar and you play, right? You got no records, no airplane, no nothing. And And the thing is, I had to have songs that you could get in in the middle of the song. And still feel like you were part of it, you know, like like a song like Bump Up Ahead or something like that, where um, if you let's start in the middle, you, you can still feel what it's about. Later on, I could do songs that had a sort of an involving, uh, evolving story like Land Pipe or something like that, where there's a, a, a sort of a progression in the verses, you know, so I noticed that. But I, I tried to do what I want to do, you know. Did you run into a lot of instances of uh, buttonheads with radio stations, record companies, uh, the powers that be in the music business with songs that were of that edgy nature? Like how many times did you have to fight like, oh, we can't play this because it's talking about sex, David? No, it's a funny thing. Being a little different, which I think I am, um, is a curse in the beginning, but it's a blessing later on. 
because people will go to that particular artist, whoever, me or anybody, um, who has something a little individual. You know, I mean, my first album, uh, the one with Hypnotizing Bogey, Bearcat, and those songs on it, um, it took two years to sell. We recorded it two years before um, uh, any label would release it. You know, so uh, um, there was some resistance. But as I say, it's turned into a good thing. Because people, if they want to see what we do, they come and see our band. You know, it's not just a generic band that you can go and see, blah, blah, blah. Do you have a, kind of a funny sense of, wow, the world's changed when you, when you think of some of the pop songs that are being put out today and some of the content? And think of the battles that you had back in the day with your songs. And that was more of an artistic uh, double meaning. But now they hit you over the head with some of the salacious content. Are you like, things have changed quite a little bit? They've changed enormously, and part of it is the uh, demise of record companies, um, you know, which were a filtration system, good or bad. Um, uh, now we have the Internet, so, I mean, you can go on the Internet and do or say or sing virtually anything, right? Do you feel disrespected as a guitarist, or do you feel you get enough due? Because when people think of Dave Wilcox, the casual fan might hear on the radio and be like, he's got those fun songs. But you're an epic guitar playing guy, if, you, if I dare say so. Do you think you get enough due instrumentally? Well, thank you. You know, um, there's I had a, I knew a wise old guy who's passed away, and he used to say, um, "There's you get what you want, then there's you get what you need, and then there's you get what you get." You know, and I'm very happy with what I've gotten. I don't feel uh, disrespected or anything like that. People come to our gigs, our band. You know, as a ball playing for different audiences. And we don't use a set list, by the way. We just go and play, you know, uh, we, we look at the audience and they might want to hear this next, you know. So uh, I've got it pretty good. I have no complaints. If someone's going to come for the first time, maybe it's a date, maybe it's someone in a group of friends and they're like, yeah, I've, I've heard some David Wilcox. How would you describe your experience to someone who's never seen it before? If never had a David Wilcox experience what would they be in for? Well, I tell them that it's a party band. It's fun. It's meant to be a fun evening. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll take you up a bit, down a bit, surprise you a little bit. Something maybe familiar, maybe not. You know, so, uh, but it's, a, it's a meant to be a party experience. We cannot wait to see what you've got in store for us at the ranch. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Wilcox stops in at the Ranch 2.0 on March 10th. You never know who else might show up. I saw him at a club in Toronto once, and George Thorogood popped in. No promises. But you never know. Have you been to the Barry Farmer's Market? Happens every Saturday morning, either inside City Hall or in the square in the street outside. But there's talk of moving it to the downtown transit terminal when that operation moves to Allendale, which many think is a great idea. But the market's Jamie Grant begs to differ. She's with Barry 360's Ian McLennan. A little bit about a history of uh, the Berries, Berry Farmers Market. Um, what anniversary is coming up? It will be the 177th year this year coming up, so we're pretty excited about that. And you operate um, at City Hall, in summer outdoors in the rotunda, in the wintertime, indoors. Um, one thing you said before that makes that this is a real farmer's market, what do you mean by that? means we're a true farmer's market. A true farmer's market means that everyone that is there that is selling something has either produced it, farmed it, raised it, or made it with their own hands. So they didn't buy it somewhere and resell it. It's it's a true farmer's market, which is very rare in this day and age. 
And how many vendors do you have, or does that, uh, does that you know, does it vary from uh, weekend to weekend, or? Well, because we we do follow the true farmers market, uh, that does happen because in the springtime, you're not going to have near as many farmers. You're going to have more artisans that will be there. And as the summer progresses, you end up with more farmers because the harvests come in. So, But we do fluctuate between about 50 to 85 vendors throughout that time period. And what is your catchment area in terms of where, where, do the, where the vendors come from? They almost exclusively come from Simcoe County. So everything that's being brought to you is being brought to you very locally. For so sure. this is homegrown by local. Absolutely. It's everything local. Now, one of the things about the farmer's market did last year with money um, from the city of Barrie was you, you, I believe you had some uh, pop-up markets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were those and what was the uh, idea behind that? We were trying to research what people were looking for. Were they looking for different days? Were they looking for different availability? Um, and and more so just to market the market was, was what our goal was at that time. And it worked fantastically. There are so many people that were not aware of what was just at their doorstep and within the city limits that they could attend. So it, it was very successful for us. Obviously, the hope is that then they or they have already come back and, and have visited the, the market that's there on Saturdays. That's correct. So that exposure did increase our, our daily counts for sure. Are you looking to do it again this summer if you get the funding? We would love the opportunity. If council does uh, choose to participate in that, that would be fantastic. Now, one, uh, you, you sent a letter to city council with regards to Market Square that uh, the city... Um, has proposed for the uh, current bus terminal once the bus terminal moves to uh, to the Allendale GO station. In that letter, you indicated that the preference of the farmer's market, I guess the board, um, would be to remain at the rotunda as opposed to having a 10,000 square foot facility. Why is that? Well, there were a lot of factors that went into that decision. We have a new board. So our board is a, a board of volunteers uh, of farmers and um they reflected upon the evolution of this project. And as it evolved, it became very clear that neither the city nor the farmer's market really had the funding in place to do this. So part of the reason we decided, or a large part of that, was we didn't want to burden the taxpayers with with that type of project. Bigger is better, or are you content? I know you're looking for more space. We are looking for more space. But if traditionally, if you look at successful farmer's markets around the globe, these are small, humble, cozy places to be. They're not large buildings. We just need a safe place to operate. We really didn't need for the taxpayers or or for anyone to invest such a huge amount of money into something that really wasn't necessary. Of course, the city has talked about Market Square. I know it would be like a St. Lawrence Market um, in, in, in Toronto that would operate, you know, uh, as opposed, you know, in conjunction with the farmer's market. You had concerns about that? I do. Um, not just exclusively as me, myself. I am speaking for a the very large market, group yeah. here. Um, but there's a difference between a true farmer's market and a public market. A public market means a reseller's market, which means they are not making those things themselves. That is a direct competition to a true farmer's market. And putting those two things together don't necessarily benefit the farmer's market. I don't want you to spill the beans, but are there going to be any sort of celebratory events taking place over the year through this 2023 to acknowledge 177 years? Absolutely. May 6th will be the date that we are going to celebrate our 177th birthday. And we are partnering actually with the Barrie Police Service and Barrie Public Library to host a wellness event to, to showcase the many, many resources we have in Barrie that are all local. 
So keep an ear to a ground and to Berry 360 for more information. Absolutely. And if people want to take in the farmer's market who've never been there, what are the hours of operation and when are you open? We're open every Saturday from 8 until 12 and we operate out of City Hall. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Jamie Grant is Marketing and Operations Manager for the Berry Farmer's Market. What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began last July, introduced you to Canadian singer-songwriter Elijah Woods, met eight-year-old Morgan Mansfield, who's trying to save the monarch butterfly, and helped a local group find storage space for items collected to help Ukrainian refugees who have made the Barry area their new home. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to what Barry's talking about through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, the Barry Colts will be in the OHL playoffs and Alex Nuttall has made it through his first hundred days as mayor. Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Barry Colts have clinched a playoff spot and are battling with North Bay for first place in the OHL Central Division. Barry 360's Will Conkin looks back with Colts broadcaster Gene Pereira on what was a record-setting week for defenseman Brant Clark and coach Marty Williamson. Gene, maybe describe the moment for us and maybe Williamson's overall journey with the club. Yeah, I think obviously it was a big night for Marty and it's a special night and, you know, you could see it on the ground his face and, uh, you know, uh, it means a lot to him, especially, uh, you know, having passed Dale Howarchuk and, you know, and just having developed that relationship in that short time between them. You know, when I talked to Marty initially, I think the idea was that, uh, you know, he's hired back on the Colts as a, a consultant with the team, is that he'd eventually step behind the bench with Dale as head coach and him as an assistant. And then, unfortunately, Dale got sick. And, uh, and and passed away, and it was tough for everybody in the organization, including Marty. So I think, you know, just being able to, that, that Dale held the mark, and not only that, but Dale really encouraged him. Uh, you know, he knew Marty was going to step behind the bench and likely, and, you know, just encourage him to carry on the organization. They both had that same passion. So, you know, it was a real special night for Marty. Uh, um, just a quick story here. I remember the first uh, his introductory press conference back in 2004 and, uh, with then owner uh, Mark Stubbs. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, where the owner was kind of saying, okay, we're going to play this exciting brand of hockey. And if we have to win 8 7, if we have to win 7 6, you know, we'll do that. We'll give some excitement for the fans. And you can see by the look in Marty's face that. You know, he was going to take a win any way he can, but he'd much prefer the 2-1, 3-2 uh, better defensive play, uh, you know, wins. And, 
uh, you know, Marty wasn't afraid to kind of step forward and say that. And, uh, you know, that's been his calling card has been more the defensive. And, you know, really you see that with this team this year. The turnaround has been their improved defensive play, and that's why they're winning hockey games. And I guess that wasn't all. Uh, Brant Clark reached a milestone as well, now holds the franchise scoring record for defensemen. Yeah, it's, it's incredible that, you know, he did it in less than three seasons. I mean, when you look back and, you know, obviously with the pandemic, they had the year off. He went over and played in Europe for a bit. And, you know, he the, the amount of time, and then even last year he had that lengthy suspension in the second half and then got injured and missed the rest of the year. So, uh, you know, he, he, a little time he passed, uh, passed Lucia Sato, who was, very popular player then, but obviously Clark, the more the more talented player of the two, and uh, much more skilled player. And uh, you know, Clark's just one of those elite players and special players that you have come through. Uh, that makes junior hockey so great. When you see you know players uh, young and talented like him, you just know that they're going to be big at the next level. And uh, uh, you know, every night he does something special. And uh, you know, to see him and talking to Brandt. Uh, you know, he, he remembers coming out, coming into the rink at the first time, which was then the Barry Molson Center. Uh, it's now the Southern Arena, but he remembers stepping in and, you know, looking up at those rafters. And, you know, he said, you know, you always kind of kid to yourself. Like, I, you know, when he looked at the top defenseman, he saw Luch Nassato's name in scoring. You know, he said he, he wanted to put his name there, and uh, he certainly did it. It meant a lot to him, and... Uh, you know, it's it's not easy for a, a young player like him who wanted to be in Los Angeles to stay in Los Angeles with the Kings. That was his dream to play in the NHL, and you get sent back down. You win a gold medal with uh, Canada. That was special, but uh, you know, Brandt, uh, there's a reason why he wears the the C for captain, and um, you know, he hasn't missed a beat back in Barry. Uh, sometimes, you know, players can take a bit of time just to kind of get over that demotion, but. You know, he's been focused since day one and playing outstanding hockey. It's been uh, just a fun season to watch and a lot of good for this uh, group, this entire ca- campaign. And uh, now they're actually creeping up closer to North Bay. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they obviously lost uh, five or six in the head-to-head battles, but they've managed to kind of, you know, keep the pressure on. There's just this outstanding run really since the beginning of December. And uh, they've got it down to one point. It's been like a bit cat and mouse where it seems like every time Barry gets close, uh, North Bay kind of pulls away a bit. But then the Colts, uh, you know, just that determination. They keep winning hockey games, you know, keeping the foot on the pedal and keeping the pressure on North Bay. And while the two teams don't meet, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting run here over these last 11 games. Uh, you know, as they uh, as they finish out the stretch drive, and uh, you know that that's the focus for them. Obviously, they they still want that top spot in uh, the division and uh, lock up second place in the conference, which would you know give them uh, home ice in a potential second round match against the battalion. So that would be big. But uh, you know, again, I I, I think it's just uh, the fact that you know they they've lost those head to head games, and sometimes you go into a bit of a tailspin after those losses, but. Barry's got right back to work, and that's what's kind of been impressive about this club. Is they just they just keep putting the you know the, the pedal down, and uh, um, you know you think okay, you know they, they lose out to North Bay at home, and it's a big loss, but you know they rebound quickly, and that kind of speaks to the character that's in that room right now. 
Been a busy first hundred days for Alex Nuttall as mayor of Barrie, a lot of it taken up by budget discussions and charting a course for the next four years. Ian McLennan had a chance to sit down with the mayor to discuss the budget further, why there will be some kind of increase despite what many remember as being a zero increase pledge during the election campaign. Potholes are also top of mind. I know one of the first 100 days has focused a lot, you know, here in the, especially in the United States or, you know, a, a prime minister in Canada or president of the U.S. But 100 days, what's the significance there? Well, I think, first of all, it's it's uh, you, you you get in, um, you're elected uh, and then you take, you know, your oath of office and then start working with all of the public service. And so I think one of the, the neatest things about the first 100 days is kind of that, uh, that, that getting to know, uh, that warming up between... Uh, those who've been elected to uh, be on the board of directors for the city and um, and the public service, and so it's been really successful so far. Uh, I think that'll that'll continue, uh, but uh, certainly it's a very important time to set the tone for the for the four year term. And uh, you've got council background. Does that make the transition a little easier? Well, I think it has. I think it has. Ian, uh, as I look at it going forward, you know, we've uh, there's obviously been some changes since I last sat on council. Um, you know, I left. Uh, Council for Federal Office in 2014. So uh, eight years is a long time, and obviously it's not going to be exactly the same. But a lot of the uh, processes are, are uh, consistent, and uh, it was a, a matter of getting caught up and then making sure that we can take that vision that uh, the city has uh, has certainly invested in and, uh, and make sure it starts uh, being put into fruition. Well, for you and Council, both current uh, new members as well, right into the feet into the fire with a budget. Um, where are we at them right now? Because um, your service partners uh, still have to present their budget. It's a little different than has been done previous years. Why? Is, what, what was before, and what are you doing now? Yeah, there's in previous years. What happened was everything was sort of dealt with either in one or two nights. Um, the reason we changed the process here is uh, there's things that City Hall can control directly, and then there's things that we can't. And so the things that we're able to control directly are the city operations budget. So, you know, that's the salaries and benefits and gas costs and all of those types of items, your rec centers. Um, city Hall has direct control over that. That's being passed already at a 0%, which is consistent with what uh, I was committing to during the election. The second part of it is the capital budget. So the capital budget is um, what are we going to invest in in terms of building things and uh, repairing roads, those types of items. So we've actually approved that side of the budget as well. With that is a, a 1% um uh, DERF, which is uh, the essentially the renewal fund that we uh, go to the public with each is and every year. Is that a carryover from previous councils too? Yes, it yeah. is. Is actually something that we approved, I think, back in 2013 or 14, okay. and then it was put into uh, practice in about 2015, 16. And so it's something that I've supported a long time because, you know, you drive around the city, there are roads that are in really rough condition. And uh, this is how we make sure those those roads are fixed and that we actually get our infrastructure built. And so that's all dealt with during the capital plan. And and to note, you know, one of the major items this year that's approved in the capital plan is the construction of Brian Drive. You know, it's it's been a long time coming. And so getting it uh, all the way from Essa uh, up to over by Mapleview, where it, it currently ends, uh, is, is incredibly important. Which leaves maybe some of that gridlock that still exists. Absolutely. Harvey Road helped, for sure. Yeah. But it's, it, the, the north-south there is very difficult. 
So we're waiting to hear. We've, we know some of the numbers. We're not going to go in right now, but the, the police, the library, the county of Simcoe, conservation authorities, it would be 3.07% if we had the current. So I think that the county's actually revised their budget down. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't have a final number yet. The The secondary item that we're dealing with is the Bill 23 and Bill 109, which the provincial government have moved have wide-ranging impacts on uh, how municipalities do planning and and, and basically uh, run the cities, you know, there there's some impacts with regards to the conservation authorities there. And so we have to determine uh, over the next few months uh, what services we're going to continue to do with the conservation authority, what services we're going to bring in-house and what things just aren't going to be done anymore. In your campaign, you headline freeze taxes. I think you said hold the line on municipal taxes. Clarify, though, for me, for the yeah. public, going, well, wait a minute, my property taxes are going to go up this year, but you yeah. said freeze taxes as your headline. How do you just suppose that? So, look, I think there's two, two pieces to it. First of all, um, what my commitment was during the election was to actually continue with the DERF. Okay, so the Dedicated Infrastructure Renewal Fund, I said I'm going to raise it. I'm actually not going to reduce it. Previous councils have reduced it, and the the problem with that is that you end up with roads that just don't get fixed, right? And and we hear that around the city. You, 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 know, you hear and see that around the city as well. And so on the capital side, my commitment was to actually increase, not decrease. Uh, on the operating side, my commitment was that we would have a 0% to City Hall. I said that over and over and over again, right? And so that's what we've done. We've delivered a 0% operations budget for City Hall. What we don't have control over, and uh, you know, there's been numerous articles written about this, is when the, the police board, for instance, and they set their budget back in September. It was a previous police board, a previous mayor that approved it. They, they are actually giving us an invoice, not giving us a request for money. It's a, do you it's have a, to some say, well, do you have to pay that bill or can you send them back to the drawing board? But how many times can you do that? Yeah, so so, you know, we could say no, and then it would go to a, a commission, and then the commission would make a determination, which takes it all outside of the city of Barrie, and uh, there hasn't been a very good track record of getting a better deal. In fact, I think it's probably uh, been the opposite. So it's like baseball arbitration. <laughs> it is like arbitration. It's exactly what it is, actually. And so, uh, so the, that that's the police side. On the county side, you know, I look at it and go. Uh, they've they've got a lot of services they're delivering for the city of Barrie. Uh, we have a lot of work to do on social services, and I know this is something that's very close to your heart and it's very close to mine. And and it's the same, you know. We, the province mandates that the Barrie police deliver the policing services, and the county deliver all the social services, and the city of Barrie pays for it. Would it look? Would it be easier for the? Uh, would it make a difference if the city had more control over? Um, some of the things the county now is in charge of? Well, I think that's a conversation that we need to continue to have. You know, I've been making uh, requests uh, with regards to long-term care. You know, there's no reason why we should be operating zero long-term care beds here in the city of Barrie, but paying, you know, three million bucks or whatever it is a year uh, for that service. It's it's a little ridiculous when you think about it. Folks growing up here, um, living around their family, but then they have to go to Midland or Penetang or Aurelia to live. And be away from their family. And, uh, you know, w- these folks have contributed to the city of Barrie and to the county of Simcoe for years and years and years and years, but then get displaced. And uh, so so that's an, a, an item, an area where uh, we need to really focus on moving forward uh, with, a, with a Barrie plan. And um, I've actually uh, been working with uh, former Deputy Mayor Barry Ward on 
uh, trying to to help with that as well. So hopefully working together, we'll be able to deliver some some strong results. And finally, um, we did touch, uh, you touched on roads and Brine Drive, but potholes, I mean, people hit them sometimes quite severely. They may, probably curse the pothole and maybe the mayor too, who knows? <laughs> you did talk about a pothole hotline. So pieces of it actually are already yeah. set up. Uh, we're finishing out the uh, the final pieces of that, but uh, for instance, uh, the ability to just any time of day call in is is uh, there. Some of it uh, goes to uh, voicemail after certain hours, etc., uh, which is probably expected. And uh, we will continue to to try to make it easier and easier for folks to be able to deliver that message to us. Uh, I think it's also really important. And as we're looking at um, what we're doing with the city in terms of renewal of roads, that we continue to have uh, a program that is proactive, not just reactive. You know, it's, it's one thing, a citizen going over a pothole and calling it in or putting something online. But, you know, we as a city need to figure out how we use uh, all of those vehicles that are driving around the city each and every day uh, to determine where the potholes exist so that we can uh, proactively go and deal with them, not wait for somebody's car to get bust up before a call comes in. And so uh, that's another piece to it that, you know, wasn't really part of the election platform, but something that I'm realizing, you know, maybe being able to use that big data that's created by all of our vehicles going around the city each and every day to to try to come up with a better, more proactive program. Thanks very much, Mernado. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input and to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, Barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.